Hey, good morning. How about them falls? Yeah. Yeah, just another weekend in Knoxville, right? Yeah. And you know what won that? I mean, you, you think about that game and what everybody was talking about the minute it was over and this morning uh, is defense, right? That's what comes through because if your offense doesn't have a chance to get on the field, you know, and if they can't perform, they're not freed up, then it doesn't matter how which quarterback we play or, you know, who we've got out there and the combinations and what they're going to do if the defense is not doing their job, right? Now, that same principle works in your spiritual life as well as, you know, we get that you know, football game needs to be very physical, needs to be, you know, we got to show up, we got to be tough, we got to be there. But if we don't have defense, we're never going to get a chance to run those plays. We're not going to get a chance because they're, you know, the score is going to get lopsided. And we've seen that happen, right? We've seen what happens when uh, you allow your opponent just to run up too many points. You saw that the other night in the National League playoff in the second inning. You know, all of a sudden we're at, yeah, and the car, my one Cardinal friend back there, um, you know, um, just, just ran all over the Braves. It's too late. It doesn't matter offensively what they're going to be able to do the rest of the game. They're gonna, they've got a deficit. They're, you know, you're down by 10 runs in the second inning. What are you going to do with that? Some of you are living in a situation where you know, you're so focused sometimes on your weapons or what's happening to you or what you're going to do and this and that, and we get in our flesh about that, and you're defenseless, and you've, you've put yourself in a very vulnerable place. And that's what we're going to talk about uh, today is the, the biggest tool, resource, place of protection that God has given us as believers and in our walk with Him. Uh, number one thing that'll, that'll save you, that'll protect you, that's going to keep you out of danger more than anything else. And when I was a kid in middle school, it used to be called junior high school, that's how old I am, uh, I, I was in boxing for the sheriff's department, okay, in, in South Memphis. Uh, uh, and we would go every Saturday, you'd, you'd go during the week to the gym, and then on Saturday you would work with your coach. And we would memorize these combinations. And I thought it was going to be glamorous, and if you've ever done any sport like that, you know that it's just a lot of work. You know, you're doing a lot of sit-ups and a lot of uh, burpees and crunches, and you're just, and you're running, and you're, you know, and it's all, and if you've ever played basketball or football or track or any sport, you know, there's a lot of just day-to-day-to-day-to-day just grinding out work so that in that moment, in the moment when the contest begins, it's just automatic, and that your arms and your legs and your lungs and your heart and everything is going to work and it's going to keep working with endurance. You know what? Same thing spiritually. And I remember uh, being, you know, just memorizing these combinations and combinations and combinations. And they always involved a couple of different things. One, and by the way, I was a very dangerous young man. Um, because my arms are like this long. And so, you know, and you, you, you got to hit, you got to hit, but you got to keep from being hit. And I remember the coach, I just getting beat up, especially because... Uh, a lot of guys in my weight range had longer arms than me, so they're going to get in, be able to get in closer. And so it doesn't matter how hard I can hit or how fast or how accurately if I'm getting beat up in the process. Some of you just getting beat up 
And you don't have time to launch out spiritually. And you don't have time to see your ministry flourish. And these powerful things that God wants to do in your spirit and in your life are not happening because you're getting beat up spiritually. Here's the big idea. All right, here's the, uh, the message today. This is what we're going to talk about. You can't genuinely follow God without putting uh, your trust in Him and His promises. The nature of our warfare is spiritual. I think I've said that every week during this series. We are not wrestling against flesh and blood. This is against spiritual powers of darkness that are highly placed and strategically placed not only in the world, but in your life. This is not random. This is, this is a very purposeful, a very strategic kind of a thing. And because it is a spiritual warfare that you're involved in, none of your fleshly weapons are going to be of any advantage. See, we're in such a habit of going to our flesh, going to our resources, whatever's worked for you. Maybe it was your beauty. Maybe it was your intellect. Maybe it was your athletic ability. Maybe it was your charming personality. Maybe it was your daddy's bank account. Maybe it was fill in the blank. You know, your heritage, whatever it is. There is this reflexive action that when I'm in trouble, when I need protection, I'm going to reach for one of those things. I'm going to step back into that because I know that. And that's going to be this bubble. But you know what? We're not in a fleshly uh, war. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says this. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not ordinary. They're not made of flesh and blood or any of those other things. But mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And it's these strongholds that the enemy sets up in your life. For some of you... It's probably been since childhood. When you think about all the battles you have faced in your life, emotional, maybe physical, you know, whether it's a tendency to lean toward um, an addictive type, you know, personality or behavior or something like that. If it's a mood, personality things, you know, and just kind of emotions that, that bother you, whatever those are, oftentimes those are set up in us some of you could probably, you know, you'd say, yeah, I was six years old the first time I saw that. The first time I was 10 years old, the first time that I had that struggle. And it's not like you've had a hundred different kinds of battles in your life. Maybe you've had, but probably most of us, come on, we're fighting the same battles over and over and over. And you're getting, I, I don't, I don't want to sound like too much of a, Southern, Southern Baptist preacher, but you're getting your tail kicked over and over in the same way. Right? It's these strongholds that have been set up. And some of you would say, yeah, you know what? I've been angry. I've been lustful. I've been th I, that same thing. I've been depressed. I've been sad. I've been, this is, ever since I was a teenager, ever since I was a child, I'm fighting the same battle and I'm still getting beat. Because we, we try to engage in the, in the flesh. So that's what we're going to talk about. Let's look at that. Let's look at what does that mean uh, to step over into our spirit. There's nothing I think that Satan enjoys more than to draw you into 
this battle, th- this emotional, physical, or mental conflict with him. When you engage the enemy, physically, perhaps, mentally, emotionally, he's going to beat you. And he's going to do that consistently. Okay? Um, he, he does not want you to live out of your spirit by faith. And it's sad to me, it's hurtful to me, how slow I am to catch on to that. And it's really, really sad to think how, how slow the church is to learn that this battle we are in is a spiritual battle. Now, I get behind all kinds of causes, and I write letters, and I show up, and I pray, and I do all of that. I, I read, I've been concerned this week about Syria and what's happening there with the Kurds and some of our Christian brothers and sisters who are being bombed and pushed out of their homes, and this is just all of a sudden overnight, and I don't even get political, but I just, I, I say that to say I care, okay? I, so I'm not just ignoring that or setting that to the side, but I'm going to say without apology that there's always somebody, there's always people who are going to try to mobilize you behind their political agenda or a social action or this cause or that cause, and they're, they're going to try to get you on board and, and get you to give to it and to volunteer and to be that. I, I get that. But we try to develop strategies by which we can draw attention to our causes you know, you're going to get on Facebook, you're going to hand out posters, you're going to call people, you're going to do whatever you can. Satan, who actually controls the world system, loves to draw us into his arena, into his world, onto his battleground, on his terms, in our flesh, where he knows he can defeat us. I want you to think about your major battles since you were a little girl, since you were a young man, and all the times you've been beaten, and all the times you have felt defeated, and all the times you've walked away, and there's that same old shame, and you make those same promises. Oh, Lord, this is it. Last time. Never going there again. I'm never doing that again. I'm never. And then we do, and then there's that, and it just doubles down on us all over because he knows he can do that. Listen, we are not going to win this battle until we recognize that it's spiritual warfare and begin to use the armor that God has made available to us. The piece of armor that we're going to look at today is the shield of faith. And it is in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 16. I'm not going to read all the pieces. You can go back and do that. Uh, unless you're involved in Immerse, okay? Because you are reading (laughs) so fast. I was a little behind last night. I'm reading and I'm catching up too. And I know you're doing that. But here's what it says in Ephesians 6, uh, verse 16. It says, "In in addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Uh, This literally says to take up the shield. And it means to pick it up and to continue to hold it up. Now, there's a couple of different definitions. I think when we say the word believe, 
which is really the word you know, where the word faith comes from. It's a little word called pistuo. It's I believe. And there's a couple of different dimensions or levels to that. One is I believe something uh, intellectually. I, I, you know, I, believe, I believe God exists. Now, is that the same as being a follower of Jesus or being saved or being Christian? No. But a lot of people think that's where it is. Well, I believe, I believe we could beat Alabama next week. I just believe that. You know, that's good you believe it. But belief isn't, you know, the whole thing. Now, it's one thing to stand and to say, okay, I believe God exists, but you've got to believe in him. You see, that is to trust him. It's belief that goes. God asked you to do something. Would you trust that that's a good thing to do? Would you follow him in that? So take up, to pick up, it, it, this is written, I don't want to get technical or you know, anything, but it's written, it's real interesting because it's in the arrowist imperative tense. It means pick this up and don't put it down. Pick it up once and for all. <laughs> At one point in time, pick this up and then hold on to it. Don't put it back down. It's imperative. It means this is not optional. It's not like, you know, it'd be a good idea to have a shield. You might want to, you know, where is it, where's your shield? You know, yeah, bring it along in case, in case you need it. I'm not saying you will or want it. But you know what? Just kind of have it. Drag it. Put it on your back, and you can always whip it around. No. He says, take it out, put it on, hold it up, and don't drop it. Keep it with you. This is a piece of this armor that is absolutely indispensable. as people of faith and that's that it's it's a little less intimidating or it sounds sort of generic to me you know it's like the store brand of peanut butter <laughs> you know it's just like yeah i'm a person of faith i think what well, everybody is a person of faith everybody believes everybody has faith in something themselves the system Money, their ideas, the people around them, their company, their blah, blah, blah. You know, we've all, we're all people of faith. See, it takes it to another level when I say, no, I'm a people of Jesus. <laughs> I'm a follower of Jesus. All of a sudden, you brought tension into the conversation, didn't you? I mean, just try it at school tomorrow. Try it at work. Say, yeah, I'm a person of faith. It won't, there, you know, no blip on the chart. It'll, it'll just rock along. The EKG of your conversation will just go like this. But watch what happens when you say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. There's something about that uh, that, that brings a different dimension to, to, uh, to, to life itself. So what we say, we, you know, we, we've, we've kind of got to learn this. And, and I know it's subtle you know, to, to not say to each other, well, you just need to have more faith. Anybody told you that? Or you ever thought that to yourself? You just got to believe. I was telling Kevin this morning, I said, how many times in movies have we heard that? Or you've seen the character go, I believe, I believe. Think, what do you believe? It's not your belief that's the crucial issue. It's what you believe in. Let me interrupt myself for just a moment. I think you 
probably can hear an audible beep every now and then. Just ignore that. That's our security system. Uh, it either means that everything's okay and it just needs to be worked on or something terrible is about to happen in this room. I don't know which it is, but just in case, stay alert, okay? Stay alert. And I'm going to give a signal if I can see from my vantage point that it is something awful about to occur. I'm going to wave at you. So, so, so stay with me. All right. Ignore the beep. Now, in, in, in real life, uh, genuine faith must always have a firm foundation for it to be meaningful. Okay, otherwise, <laughs> your faith isn't the big deal. It's what you've got your faith in. True biblical faith derives its power not from any power inherent in faith, but from the object of faith. That's a big deal, and that's really important to understand. Because all of these pieces of armor of God, they're connected. They, they all work in harmony. It was designed to be, you know, kind of like Batman. You know, you, everything's working together. All the gadgets, the, the, everything, it, it all works together. Now, I want to show you what a, a shield looked like, and we can put one up here. But this is so crazy. I just wanted you to, um, to see this idea. That is a, a Roman shield, very, very typical. And other cultures had a very similar design to that. This is a modern-day uh, police shield. I walked into the front this morning, and I had it. And this, this little kid walked by me and said, that's not going to stop a bullet. <laughs> and he just kept going down the hall, just like, what kind of pastor are you? You know, I thought, are you going to shoot at me? What, what, what did you have in mind? Now, the cool thing about this design, I, want, I wanted you to see, is that, that this shield, and I can, I can do this, and I can put it on. This is basically exactly like that. It's almost... The precise size and shape of a 2,000-year-old defensive weapon and design. Isn't that something? Isn't that kind of amazing um, that we've, we're still using that? That's how effective and how well-designed uh, that that piece of armament was. It was a large, kind of a door-shaped. It wasn't, they had another shield. It was small and round and kind of convex or concave, depending on your philosophical view. Uh, but but it, was, it was used like that. Now, this shield had an iron frame. You can't see it real well in that photograph. And it was made of several leathers of layer, of, of, uh, layers of leather uh, that they would soak in water until right before the battle. And why do you think they would do that? Because the enemy would fire these projector, projectiles at them, you know, these missiles at them that were usually on fire. And that would help put out the flames. Sometimes they would even wet themselves, you know, they would, they would have, uh, uh, their, you know, get themselves, you know, wet so that they um, would not catch on fire as easy. Now, this, this shield would extinguish all of that. It could be darts. It could be arrows, it could be spears. This word that's used in the text literally could, could mean any of those. 
It wasn't specific. It was just a general term. And they would often put barbs or hooks or, or something on the tip of those uh, so that it would get hooked or tangled up or catch on something. It wouldn't just kind of go away. They were dipped in pitch and soaked in flammable materials so that it would ignite whatever it hit. And the shield was designed to cover and to protect you know, the whole body, especially when people stood really close to each other. This just formed a wall, this portable, mobile wall of protection against those things. Now, if I were going to battle and they said, here's the thing, from far, from 100 yards out, 200 yards out, the enemy's going to be shooting these fiery things. And when they hit, they're going to explode. They're going to burst and shoot flames. Do you want this little round shield? <laughs> Or would you rather have this one? I'll pick this one, thank you very much, because I can get behind this. It's more protective. You see, I want you to think of this imagery that your flesh, whatever the shield is that you're relying on, well, I'm pretty fast, I'm pretty smart, or I've got this, or I've always been able to... That's like this little round shield that you're trusting. And that's why we're defeated so much. Because God has a better idea. Now... There are different types of these fiery missiles, and your enemy has more than one weapon. Have you found that to be just about the time you figure out how to guard yourself or this, then he comes at you from another direction with something different. And there are days you just feel overwhelmed because of, of all of that. It seems like, at least to me, there's there's some that are specific because or that are often used just because they work. They, they work really well. Satan is constantly throwing fiery darts of doubt at us. He gets us to doubt everything. I mean, he, we doubt God and we, we doubt his word. In fact, this is one of the very first darts we have on record, these fiery darts that he ever launched at human beings. He's in a conversation. He appears as a serpent to Eve. And what is the question he asked her? Did God really say that? Did God say you shouldn't do this? Was that what? Are you sure you didn't misunderstand? Or was he telling the truth? He plants a seed of doubt in human beings' mind. First thing he tries. How many of us? How many of you? Many have been damaged and destroyed by this fiery dart of doubt. So we're going to decide by faith whether to believe the word of God or the lies of Satan. There are fiery darts of temptation. These can be impulsive, sinful thoughts. Have you ever done something or thought something that's just so off the radar for you and later you'd look back and go, wow, where did that come from? Why did I do that? That's not even me. I don't even, that's not even me, but I did. It's this impulsive, sometimes overwhelming flood. Maybe it's a, you know, just some kind of thought that comes, comes to you. And you just think, you think, wow, just it's sort of hard to resist that. There are feelings of rejection that the enemy knows he can tell you that lie. There are feelings of shame that are deeply embedded in some of us because of whatever has happened or the way you began to see reality. And often, 
I think these are surprise attacks. You know, you don't get a text in the morning saying, hey, this afternoon, coming against you with this big temptation. Just want to give you a heads up. See you at 2 o'clock. Hey, tonight, when you're by yourself and you've had a hard day, I'm going to just clobber you with feelings of rejection and shame. Okay, see you at 8, you know, just, just so you know. Now, what does he do? He does the same thing, you know, that you do or that's happening. You know, it's a surprise attack. It's an ambush. It's when your grandchildren are hiding and you don't know. And then they jump out and they get you. You know, it's, it's that kind of thing, except it's incredibly more dangerous. That's why Paul says you got to keep the shield up. You can't wait until you see... Here comes some bad guys. Here comes the enemy. You know, maybe I'll get my shield out. No, it's too late. It's too late at that point. Often the tips of these spears or these darts would be made heavier, purposefully much heavier you know, than, than the shaft, so that it would do one of two things. It would be sharpened so that it would stick in whatever, hopefully you, is what the enemy wants to do, so that it would stick in you, you know, or if it hits something, a hard surface, it would be soft, maybe made of a material like lead at the core of it, so that it would bounce, and when it bounces, it'll, it'll flip over and around, and it'll at least hit somebody near you, it'll hit somebody that you care about, the, clo- the people closest to you. And when you think, well, it's my life and I can do this, you're not thinking about the fact that these fiery darts are going to bounce off and they're going to hit your parents, they're going to hit your husband, your wife, your children, your church, your community, your family, your neighbors. Your f- you think, oh, well, it's just about me and I just did this and I just did that. No, you're spreading flames to other people. And sometimes Satan will use your actions of non-faith to hurt the people closest to you. He's indiscriminate. So don't ever think, oh, he wouldn't do that. Absolutely he would do that. He doesn't care if it's you. When, when, when you don't hold up the shield of faith, you have the potential to burn not just yourself, but all the people closest to you. These ancient Romans would stand very close to one another and they would use their shields uh, together to create this almost impenetrable wall and these roofs. And I think that's, a, that's just a word picture. That's just a beautiful metaphor to, to remind you, you were never meant and designed to fight this by yourself. One of these illustrations I found shows these soldiers exactly like that with these same shields, um, but they all pull back, they pull together, and they begin to move around until they're a tight circle. So whatever direction the enemy comes, you know, they are back to back, shoulder to shoulder, shield to shield, and they're protecting themselves and they're protecting each other. Folks, that's why we use the word connect so often here at Calvary. That's why we're always nudging you. Be here for morning worship. Be a part of a community group. Be engaged in relationships. 
Don't try to fight a spiritual warfare, you know, a battle all by yourself. You could be defeated so much easier, but you could win victories if you would share your life. If you'd fight alongside other people. So don't fight alone. Surround yourself with other people who have shields of faith. You know, if you only you only have to trust someone when it's something you don't already know. For instance, uh, no one has to tell you two plus two is four. Trust me. Trust me. Because you'll think, okay. Because you already know that's true. And so you don't even have to work at it. Okay. But if someone... Uh, walks in, you know, and, and trusting God uh, means walking into the unknown sometimes and doing things or feeling things or following him when it's counterintuitive uh, and just being confident that he's going to take care of it. So when someone walks up to you and says, two plus two is five, trust me. I know what you're thinking, just trust me. And there's some kind of an alarm goes up, you know, and your heart knows that's, that's just not true. No matter how persuasive they can be, you know, they could write up on the whiteboard, they could show illustrations, they could do a PowerPoint and end up with the letter five, you know, number five. And you, you, something in your heart is still saying, well, I, just, I just don't, that's just not true. Listen, when, when that intuition, when that, when, that, when that nudge from Holy Spirit comes to you, don't ignore that. And choose to believe the lie anyway. You think, well, I wouldn't do that. But that's exactly what we do. Satan will lie to you. He will lie to you about your sin. And you will ignore the consequences of it. And the seriousness of it. And how far that's going to burn. And how many other people are going to be in flames. And all of that. He'll lie to you about your sin. He will lie to you about yourself. He will continue just constantly, relentlessly, mercilessly whisper to you lies about yourself. And we can sit on Sunday morning and we can say, I believe in Jesus and I know he loved me and I know he died. But inside we walk out and we think, I am not worthy and I'm a terrible person. I'm a crummy person. I'm just awful and I don't know why the Lord would love me and you don't know what I've done and I'm not worthy now because you just, you just don't know. And we believe those lies about ourselves instead of what he said. He will lie to you about your identity. He will lie to you about other people. He will tell you things about, you know, oh, I bet she's thinking this, or I think he's this, or I that. And just, just, just tell you lies about other people uh, to cause that disunity and to break that connection. Jesus said, Satan is the father of lies. He's one who gives birth to these lies. He's the father of lies. That's how he identified him in a couple of different ways. As an accuser and as a liar. And you put those two together, that's a dangerous, you know, volatile combination, you know, that, that, something that's going to come against you. He's the father of lies and he's the cure, accuser. And I believe that's the first fiery dart that Satan reaches for because it just works so easily uh, on us. Now, here's the best part. Do you know how every Sunday 
uh, I've said, this isn't our armor. This isn't something that as a believer, you know, we begin to walk with the Lord and he goes, oh, wait, part of the deal is some armor. And we've got that. We're going to, you know, Amazon's going to ship that to your house and you're going to get it. It's going to be in big boxes. And, and you unwrap each of these pieces of armor and think, this is so awesome. This is so great. Then you put it in the garage or the basement or your closet. And you think, wow, when I need it, I'm going to get that armor out because it's my armor now. And then you tug it on and you think, that is not a good visual. That's not a good picture. But most of us think of the armor like that, right? We kind of think that's what it is. No, this is, and I know I'm going to just be so redundant every week. This is God's armor. This isn't his armor. This is the same armor Jesus wore when he was on earth. This is God's armor that we wear, his armor. Okay, it's such a different thing. It's all about grace. It's his grace. It's not about you thinking, I just got to work up my courage or my faith or my this or my that. It's up to me. That's just your flesh. That's another lie of the enemy. No, you're in Christ now. and You have on his armor. Let me just tell you some of these. Look at Genesis 15.1. What God told Abraham. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, God is a shield to those who will take refuge in him. Psalm 3.3, David says, You, O Lord, are my shield about me, my glory of my head. Psalm 28.7, we read, The Lord is my strength and my shield. Psalm 28, 7. This is beautiful. Psalm 115, excuse me, 119, verse 114. The writer says, you are my hiding place and you're my shield. That hasn't changed. That hasn't changed. He is your shield. And I want you to think of all the things that have happened to you in your life and the ways you've been attacked and the consequences of that. As bad as it was, as awful as it was, Satan meant for it to be even worse. He meant for that to be much worse than what happened. Faith is simply a rope that connects us in a relationship to God. Let me show you how this works. Okay? Um, I'm going to give Oaken, if you would stand up, please, for me. Um, give Oaken to say, let's say he's drowning. He's drowning, you know, he's, he's over there, he's just drowning and drowning, so I throw him a rope. Now, what Oaken can do, he can look at it and he can just say, I believe in a rope. I see the rope. I believe the rope exists so he's still drowning now i can say you know no in order what belief is what faith is you know he's got to grab that rope and he's going to hold on to it you see what if he holds on to it and says i don't i not only believe in the rope but i'm going to hold on to the rope what if there's nothing on the other end of that rope? 
He's drowning. And he's getting tangled up in a rope. Some of you are so drowning and you're so tangled up. But you see, what happens in faith is that I am connected to God. And that's what faith does. That's what it is. And Jesus becomes my redeemer and my rescuer. Thank you. You're, you're such so good at that. Now, your belief is what leads you to take the right action. Faith isn't just saying, I believe in Jesus. Faith is knowing he has the power to rescue you and then letting him be your shield. Faith is built on truth and faith is built on trust. I love that the Lord doesn't even wait. He doesn't stand on the shores of heaven and say, well, I'll save you, but first, you got to start swimming towards me. Swim 10 yards. Swim 100 yards and I'll save you. Swim 10 yards. Just swim a yard. Then, then I'll save you. No. Romans 5, 8 says, in that while we were yet sinners, while I was drowning, God demonstrated his love for us. He swims out to you. He comes out to you. He says, I'm here to save you. I wasn't even going in the right direction. (laughs) But in Christ, he came to me. He demonstrates that. He sent Jesus here to pull you to himself. That's what the cross is in, in your life. So it's not my faith that that shields me it's God himself the enemy will try to destroy your faith because he knows that's the connection and he will get you to trust in yourself to trust in your flesh your ropes, your shields and all of that rather than God and all the shields that you've ever put up to protect yourself can't save you and won't save you and never will. They never have. So Paul says, take up the shield of faith. And watch what he does and how protected and secure you finally feel because you are. So I'm going to ask you to stand, and here's the question. Are there some shields that you've picked up along the way in life and that you're trying to defend yourself with that you need to let go of, that you need to drop this morning? Some of those could be religious shields. What are you trusting in? Drop that shield and pick up God's shield of faith. And let him protect you. Let him rescue you. Take that first step. Let's sing.